Princess Leia was right. The tighter the Empire grips, the more planets will slip through its fingers. Stocks are sliding, cryptocurrency is holding, and the elites are getting frantic. More after the drop. How's the Great Awakening treating you? Hey, it's your uh, lovable, lovable pal, Nate Houseman, and we're going to look at some of the top stories on the internet and do some pointing and laughing. We're going to look at the markets, first of all, and we're going to look at some frantic missteps by the corporate media and big tech. We're going to look at some very important uh, court cases, and we're going to wrap it up with some uh, more laughing, pointing, pointing and laughing at the media. So if you like what you hear, uh, if, if you find this content valuable, please subscribe to the channel, whether you're on YouTube, Odyssey, or listening to the podcast, and share it with your friends and family. Okay, let's get started. Oh, and if you want to, if you want to support the channel and support yourselves, click on the Linktree link in the description, and you'll find affiliate links to some really helpful resources. You can um, It's going to be very important to uh, convert your fiat money into gold and, and go, into gold and silver. And Bitcoin, and I also have two, you know I also sell T-shirts and hats, and I also sell some white label web design and digital marketing services. So if you want to if you want to fire your boss and start your own business, it's very important that you have a website, and my little shop there will get you started. So let's get to it. We're gonna start with. The market today, it, looks like, it says everything is green on CNBC, but it says, where was it? Oh, where was it? Now oh, the page updated. But, um, stocks are making the biggest moves after hours. Salesforce, let's see here. Salesforce, uh, Box, HP Enterprise, and Am Amberella, they've gone up. But a lot of stocks have gone down today. Especially um, the uh, corporate me media stocks and uh, tech stocks. The Dow drops 650 points on Tuesday on growing Omicron fears and uh, Powell taper comments. So, Jerome Powell, the boss at the Federal Reserve, USA Central Bank, he pretty much admitted, he admitted what we've, what most of us have suspected, that inflation is not temporary or transitory. And is the market really reacting to that? Let's read what CNBC says. Stocks tumbled Tuesday, reversing Monday's rebound on Wall Street, as investors reassessed risks associated with the new COVID variant over Omicron, major averages dropped to their session lows after Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said the central bank will discuss speeding up the bond buying taper at its December meeting. Uh, the Dow, the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped uh, 652 points to uh, 34,483, dragged down by losses in American Express and Salesforce. That was earlier in the day. The S&P 500 shed 1.9%, and technology-heavy Nasdaq dipped 1%, 1.6%, and the small-cap benchmark Russell 2000 dropped 1.9%. So, 
that's that's you know those are pretty big dips when you're considering the stock market. If you tr if you invest in cryptocurrency, this is like thoroughly worth mentioning. At this point, the economy is very strong, and inflationary pressures are higher, and is therefore appropriate, in my view, to consider wrapping up the taper of our asset purchases, perhaps a few months sooner, Powell said, and I expect that we will discuss that in our upcoming meeting. Powell's comments suggest that the Fed's focus has now changed to fighting inflation and its negative impacts rather than any more potential disruptions in economic activity from new variants of COVID. Now, is COVID really the threat we... The, uh, the powers of B are making it out to me. Well, we're going to talk about a court case and some of the actions that the government took after that a little bit later. Chelsea Smollett. Um, kind of as, as an example of what the, uh, the government does to uh, an exchange. Let's see here. The stock's move lower follows a volatile last few sessions as investors evaluate the Omicron impact. The Dow lost 905 points Friday, then rebounded by 237 points Monday. Major leverage, major averages rose to session highs Monday after so-called President Joe Biden said economic lockdowns are currently off the table, and then there will be no new travel restrictions. So that's probably the big thing. Not, not the uh, virus itself, but the government's reaction to it. All these world governments are locking down the borders, restricting travel, and restricting trade for something that we've dealt with for plagues that there's nothing new in world history. So let's see here. Well, Apple was the only tech stock that went up on Tuesday. So most stocks, the stock market went down. Apple was the only tech stock that went up because the company has the company has prodigious cash flow. You know, Apple has the App Store, and I've heard from certain gaming like YouTubers that Apple makes more money on gaming than probably Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo combined. Basically, they they take a cut out of all the uh, mobile games, all the uh, mobile gaming. You know, um. Revenue, and they take app, they take revenue from all the other apps in the app store. I'm sure Google does too, but well, look at why Google has slipped. Uh, Apple stock closed up up 3.1 percent on Tuesday after other stocks tumbled on concerns of the new Omicron COVID variant, showing investors see the company as a safe haven during market uncertainty. Other large tech, large cap tech stocks like Google, Amazon, Meta formerly Facebook and Microsoft, closed down for the daily for the day amid a broader market sell-off. The Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 651 points, as we said, and the tech-heavy NASDAQ fell 1.6%. Um, there's a flight to quality with companies that you know will weather the storm, not go bankrupt, and not have financial distress, Martin said. Other than the other large-cap tech stocks aren't down as much as smaller firms. So... You know, Amazon, I'm not sure they're really so much a tech company as a uh, logistics company. Like, they're so, they have such a huge, you know, delivery, warehouse, uh, shipping operation. And Am and the, web the Amazon website is just, like, their portal to uh, buying all the um, 
privacy cell. Meta um, and Google, they're probably under fire from the big tech antitrust, you know, movements. They're like, because they're clamping down on free speech, you know, same as Twitter, which we'll get to. Apple has mostly been a computer device, um, hardware and software company. And Apple uses its cash flow not only to invest in new products, but to return capital to shareholders through dividends and buybacks. So Apple is also known as a uh, kind of a luxury brand. You know, they, their price is so high, people think, oh, they must be super valuable and durable. And... You know, I, I, I had I had a MacBook for six years and I just retired it in July because it finally died out. I'm streaming this on a PC and it's a lot more affordable, it's a lot more durable, it's a lot, it's a lot better value for the money. It's like psychology. Alright, so let's look at some of the um media stocks today because we do want to talk about entertainment and media and how that's the culture. Uh Vicom CBS. Um, I want to mention this because I um, watched a video by Doomcock, Overlord DVD, just ripping uh, Star Trek Discovery, that bastardization of a great legendary you know property, and what it's doing to uh, CBS. And let's see here, the stock is down. It's inching a little bit, but it's been just sliding down over the last six months. Really, since March, it's just nosedived. Let's look at some of the other big corp corporate media giants. Disney is down today. Let's look at it over time. While that's loading, we'll open up Comcast. Comcast is down today. What's it been like over six months? Let's uh, go back to Disney. I have so many tabs open, it's probably why he's going slow here. Okay. Disney was going steady up until November... Eight, eight, and just nosedive. I think that was around the time of their um Disney their uh Disney shareholders shareholders meeting, and I'm just not having that's good news. Well, let's look at Comcast over time. And I apologize for the slow reaction here. Okay, Comcast is down. Comcast is also NBC and Universal Studios. Comcast has been sliding down since September. Let's look at AT&T. AT&T used to be the parent company of Warner Media and CNN, but they're I think they're still in the process of selling that to Discovery. And we'll look at Discovery in a little bit. I know AT&T has been billions in debt for a few years now, 
and they have to like shed a bunch of assets. I know Disney's also a deep debt because they just splurged so much on Fox, 20th Century Fox. Yep, AT&T has been steadily sliding down over the last six months. Let's look at Discovery. Yeah, they're down. They're they kind of did a little um, slide and slight upturn today, but they're down overall. Let's look at the six-month trend. As soon as the page loads, I really, I truly apologize. Let's, let's slow down. I just paid my um, internet internet bill today. Already for that, let's look at Netflix. They're they're down very steeply today. Let's look at the six month. Okay, Discovery has been zigzagging down for the last six months. It had a little boost this month and now dropped way down. I think November 11th. I think that's that might have been when they announced the uh, sale to uh, of them buying Warner Media from AT&T. Not just Warner Brothers, but also Ted Turner's former uh, cable empire. That includes CNN, uh, Cartoon Network, TNT, TBS, and so forth. Netflix is down today. Let's look at the six-month trend. Oh, it's been going up. So, that's interesting. You know, that, and that kind of tells us a lot. You know, Netflix is, kind of, is the granddaddy of streaming services. So, whatever, you know, they have some garbage content. They have some good content. But, I think people are kind of committed to um, the streaming service. They're, people are looking at the other streaming services like Disney Plus and HBO Max, which is Warner Brothers and HBO. They're looking at Paramount Plus. They're looking at um, of streaming services, and we'll get we'll get to that story. But old Hollywood is dying. Old media is dying. Everyone's going to the internet. The only way you know certain you know TV networks or cable news you know operations are going to survive is if they uh, get on online. You know CNN is has a huge audience on YouTube. That's probably because YouTube props it up. Same with. MSNBC and Fox. Uh, I was just watching a, Tim, a segment by Tim Pool today, and that's, that's what he says. You know, you um look at independent YouTubers, look at independent podcasters. They're they're growing. You know, they're they're getting a lot of they're getting a lot of traffic, but YouTube is not supporting them in the algorithm. So you have to go, you know, build your audience other ways, like either outside on other social media platforms. You got maybe pay for Pay for traffic. You have to like build up your podcast. Um, but we're seeing how powers of B kind of have their favorites and they put their finger on the scale. So let's look at some of uh, Icom CBS's trouble from Deadline. Icom CBS to sell CBS Studio Center in LA for 
$1.85 billion to Hackman Capital. Uh, Viacom CBS continues to shed non-core assets, announcing Tuesday a definitive agreement to divest its iconic CBS Studio Center and associated businesses with the partnership of Hackman Capital Partners and Square Mile Capital Management for $1.85 billion. Uh, the deal, which was anticipated, was the result of a widely marketed sale process, which the company said attracted interest from a number of buyers in the Los Angeles studio lot. So the boom in streaming has created a global crunch of production space, and an array of real estate developers and financial firms have jumped in with Hackman, by far the biggest. Uh, the firm last week acquired Ward Park Film and Television Studios, one of the largest production facilities in Scotland. Uh, the week before, announced a deal with the City of Toronto to develop a new complex called Basin Media Studios. Okay, it's a... The sale helps Viacom CBS raise needed cash to plow into content creation. The logic behind its unloading various assets, including CBS's historic Black Rock headquarters in New York City for $760 million in August. Um, it agreed to sell the publisher, Simon & Schuster, to Bertelsmann. Oh, I didn't know they owned uh, Simon & Schuster. Okay, so they... Bertelsmann, which is the owner of Penguin Random House. So that's a merger and publishing world. This sale is part of an ongoing optimization of Viacom CBS's real estate and operations portfolio and will allow the company to redeploy capital to strategic growth priorities, including streaming. Well, if they're going to sell a lot, where else are they going to film? Where else are they going to film content? CBS Viacom is just, you know, the only reason I opened an account on 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 Paramount Plus is just to see if they had classic episodes of The Price is Right, and they don't, so I canceled it before I was charged anything. And Pluto TV does have classic episodes from the uh, Bob Barker era, but they're on a schedule, they're not on demand, so it's like, oh, I can't find the uh, episodes I want to see, so... CBS has their thumbs up their tooties. And they're not the only ones struggling. This is from PiratesAndPrincesses.net. This is by, um, this is Geeky Sparkle's blog. She's, um, she's one half of Final Fish TV, which I'm a big fan of. They talk about Disney a lot. They talk about animation, cartoons, and theme parks. Disney terminates Blue Crab and Shatter the Dog at the Hilton Head Island Resort. So, you know, Disney was hurt really bad by the lockdowns. I, I, I hesitate to call it COVID because it's, you know, I'm not saying COVID is fake, but most of the cases were probably just the flu. Let's, let's be real. But Disney relies heavily on their theme parks to uh, kind of carry them through the, um, the lean times. Theme parks have been a very reliable moneymaker for the company, and it powered a lot of their, you know, acquisitions over the last 10, 15 years. But the lockdown set them back terribly, and they had to, you know, furlough and lay off a lot of their theme park and resort staff, just such as this gentleman. There are right ways and wrong ways to do things. Lately has been showing us the way not to do things. This time, in a way, you can handle longtime cast members. And cast members is what they call their theme park employees. A lot of them are performers. Uh, according to 21-year Disney veteran Mick Ayers, 
He and his dog were fired from Disney's Hilton Head Island Resort after 20 months of being told they were coming back. All while Ayers claims he didn't violate his contract by working at other locations while he took Disney at the word and waited. Now he's been terminated. So this gentleman, he's a um, he's a viol he's a musician and he plays live music for the uh, guests at the um, at the island resort. Not only that, they read him a Disney form letter in a five-minute phone call. After all that time and loyalty, he got a blunt five-minute phone call from an alleged friend just doing their job. Seems to me a friend wouldn't be so blunt, but hey. So, and this is this is the statement he said he put out. You know, so many you know theme park workers, they are on another level of customer service. Like I've had customer service jobs, and I've been so tempted to you know read people the riot act for just the way they treat. They treat hardworking people. I've I've been to Disney World a couple times. Uh, we're, you know, my same family and I are planning another trip next spring, and we're excited, but I'm going to try to teach my nephews, hey, treat the workers with respect. They work hard to make sure we have a good time. And, you know, we, we were treated very well. Like, we, we were, the the restaurant servers were nice. Um, I had a little throw-up accident on uh, the flight of passage ride in Animal Kingdom, and the girl who um, got me the um, towel to wipe up, she was so nice. I was apologizing, you know, profusely because, you know, I, I made a mess. But she said, you know, we're prepared for it. And they, they probably were prepared for it. You know, they, they think of everything. They don't miss a trick. And the way the uh, corporate, you know, the way the executives in their ivory towers are treating the, um, the, um, the frontline workers where the rubber meets the road, it's just, you know, it's just so out of touch. So, it just kind of shows you that the elites are scrambling. Let's look at this here. Let's move on. Oh, yes, video market streaming services. This is from Yahoo Finance. Is the market for streaming services cooling? Uh, Mark Douglas, CEO at MNTN, considers whether there might be room in consumer pocketbooks for yet another service, or if the streaming wars are shifting focus into exclusive content. So, they have a video here, and this is the transcript. Who's going to win the streaming wars? Let's bring in Mark Douglas. Um, he says, Cable, like in Los Angeles where I just live, cable is $180 a month. Putting that aside, the way to think about it is most households basically pull. They want three streaming services. One of them, Netflix, just locked in is just locked in as one of them. They generally want some form of live sports, so Hulu or YouTube TV. They get they get that live programming. And number three is a rotation. So Netflix and Hulu and YouTube are you know are set, and there's really not room for anyone else unless. You want, unless you have more than $180 to spend a month. You know, it's the same. If you got all the um, streaming services together to get all the content you want, it's no better than the huge capable bills we used to struggle with. So, so it looks like Disney Plus, uh, HBO Max, Paramount Plus, uh, Peacock, they're all going to be scrambling for that third, that third, that third slot. And not everyone can, not everyone can own it. 
Now, Disney's going to be okay because they own, like, a uh, controlling stick of Hulu, but how profitable is that for them? Um, you've got, you know, they're really going to have to rethink how they uh, distribute their content and how they, um, And just be a little more, you know, open about sharing it because they've been trying to, you know, have exclusive, have exclusives. That's not going to really cut anymore. And people on you, people are watching YouTube and getting a lot more content from regular, authentic people than the Hollywood glitz and glamour, the Hollywood fakery. So, and Hollywood projections just aren't what they used used to be. You know, you watch. Channels like Tom Fish DVD, you can watch channels like Overlord DVD, uh, where Doomcock, you know, Ransom Rays, you watch uh, Neurotic, and their, Gary Beekler and his um weekly panel on Friday Night's Heist, you watch uh, Kill vs. Babyface, you watch Geeks and Gamers, you watch, you know, any, any, any one of these channels that fall into the uh, Phantom Menace, you know, category, and... People understand that Hollywood and comic books and me entertainment media is going to crap. Indies are where it's at. So I just want to share this little um article because it's pertinent to a very tragic case. You know, the Alec Baldwin shooting a possible, we don't know, killing of um Helena Hutchinson, uh, Dolph Lundgren weighs in. You know, Dolph Lundgren, who, you know, Yvonne Drago, uh, He-Man, you know, legendary action star. I've, I've seen him in interviews, and he just seems like a standard guy compared to, you know, a lot of the other celebrity, you know, swell heads. Dolph Lundgren speaks on Alec Baldwin rust shooting. It's a serious business having real firearms on a film set. Um, action star Dolph Lundgren, known for such roles as Yvonne Drago in Rocky IV, and King Nereus in Aquaman recently weighed in on Al the Alec Baldwin shooting by asserting that firearms on movie sets are a serious business. It's a serious business having real firearms on a film set, Lundgren told Fox News, adding, usually an armorer, they're very serious people, and they're very committed, and the guns are checked. Any other time I remember it happening was with Brandon Lee, he recalled, referencing a similar on-set shooting of Brandon Lee during filming of The Crow. Born the son of the renowned martial artist Bruce Lee, was killed by an improperly crafted dummy round fired from a prop gun by his film co-star Michael Mass. It's crazy, Lundgren said, of Baldwin's fatal weapon discharge, which injured director Joel Souza and killed director of photography Helena Hutchins on the set of Rust. Lundgren continued, I don't know how that happened. There should never be any live ammo on a movie set. Before explaining what he used to do by manipulating firearms on the set of any action films he started. I used to do a couple of dry fires into the ground before I used before I use it. Uh, the expendable started explained. Explained. There's a protocol that is pretty strict, and I'm sure safety on sets is going to be even more strict now. So um I can wonder if this is just for part of the ongoing trend that, you know, Hollywood is losing its touch. You know, they've got they've got that I'm not sure how the uh, how the um, the worker strike is going on. You know, the, the set workers, the IOTC, 
But it's very possible that some of the armorers on the set of this movie were just, you know, inexperienced replacements who uh, didn't know what they were doing. Who were kind of like, were kind of like still not as experienced or not as knowledgeable as the um, the very professional, traditional, you know, armors who probably weren't being paid as so great. You know, we're that's just another big big scandal we're revealing this year. You know, just how corrupt Hollywood is and how they treat their employees and how standards are slipping. Moving on to um, a few other stocks, you know, we talked about the Omicron variant. Let's look at some of the uh, pharmaceutical manufacturers. Uh, Moderna is in the red right now, but let's look at six months as soon as the um, page loads up. Let's look at one month. Let's also look at Johnson & Johnson. They're down today. Let's look at the one month. And let's also look at Pfizer. Pfizer's up today because they're the golden child. Let's... Um, Open up the one month chart and we'll go back to Moderna. See if that's been updated. So Moderna's green up over the month, but it had a long dip through the month of November, just kind of like poked up on November 29th, just as they announced it would be an Omicron variant. So let's look at Johnson & Johnson. We're waiting for that. We'll look at to the we'll click on the one month chart for Pfizer. Okay, Johnson and Johnson has been sliding over the month. They were they've been they're down like four point thirty five percent over the past month, and Pfizer. Is up 2.4% today over one month. It's up 23.12%. So Pfizer probably has, you know, either has their act together or they have some really good lobbyists at the um, FDA. All right, let's look at Bitcoin and cryptocurrency because stocks have dipped today. Let's look at what the cryptocurrencies. The digital assets have done. Bitcoin turns lower as Fed share infl suggests inflation is no longer transitory. Oh, we mentioned that. Let's look at Coindesk.com. Coindesk.com's take on it. A Bitcoin turned lower among, along with U.S. stocks, after Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said Tuesday it may be time to retire the term transitory as a way of describing inflation. Over the past seven months, gather. Powell and other officials at the U.S. Central Bank have repeatedly used the term to suggest that the forces driving recent consumer price increases might abate 
as the economy accelerates from coronavirus-related lockdowns. So the shift in messaging by Powell during testimony before U.S. Senate panel might signal that authorities now see the inflationary pressures as longer-lasting, potentially indicating that the central bank might be less willing to continue to loosen monetary policies that avoid markets for risky assets, including cryptocurrencies. It is time to retire the word transitory regarding inflation. No kidding. It was time way back in March or February, because who believes you? Powell said during the hearing before the Senate Banking Committee, Bitcoin's price slid to about 57000 as of press time, down from about 58500 before the hearing started. Bitcoin as inflation hedge, it's a risk and risky asset. Bitcoin just in general is volatile, but if you if you zoom out the if you zoom out the charts over time, it's always going up. It's just kind of zigzags a little bit. Um, let's look at another article from CoinDesk. Maybe. Bitcoin underperforms as Ether and other cryptocurrencies, all coins, rise. Ether is up about 5% over the past 24 hours compared to Bitcoin's flat performance. So Bitcoin slightly went down, but other cryptocurrencies have held. So um, Bitcoin was roughly flat on Tuesday. Get out of there. While alternative cryptocurrencies such as Ether and Solana's Sol token up over about 5% over the past 24 hours. Luna, the native token of the Terra blockchain, rallied to about 13% as traders chased incentive programs. Overall, trading conditions were choppy across global markets after the U.S. Federal Reserve chair suggested that monetary policy... Okay, we said that already. Uh, despite short-term price swings, some analysts, some analysts remain bullish on Bitcoin. Um, as prices. Bitcoin is down 1%. Ether is up 5.4%. Uh, the S&P 500 is down 1.5%. Gold is down 0.5%. And the U.S., the 10-year Treasury yield closed at 1.436%. Uh, Bitcoin is looking good to close November below at the expected target of 60000 Investors are optimistic that the cryptocurrency will repeat its historic trend of ending the year on a stellar bullish note, said... Nikita Rudenia, co-founder of the asset management firm 8848invest. He wrote that in an email to Coindesk. Bitcoin dominance falls. Pretty much all cryptocurrencies are measured against Bitcoin. There's Bitcoin and the altcoins. And sometimes you might include Ethereum as like the other big cryptocurrency, but Bitcoin is the granddaddy. So... This is not financial advice, but it is, might be a good idea, it might be, to convert some of your fiat money into precious metals and crypto. And, you know, I do have links to um, companies, exchanges where you can do that. You can you can buy physical gold through Ake Gold. You can, like, subscribe and uh, get gold delivered to your, to your address monthly. And you can also click on link to uphold and buy and trade cryptocurrency. So just throwing that out there.
You don't have to do it. I'm just some random schlub in his uh, pajamas talking on the internet. But, you know, consider it. While we're at Coindesk.com, let's see what they have to say about Twitter's new boss. Because we're moving on to the um, big tech censorship affair issue. Five things to know about Twitter's new CEO, Parag Agarwal. Agarwal is a so-called champion of Twitter's project to develop decentralized social media, the project's leader said. Now, do we trust that statement? Because Twitter has been terrible at at free speech, you know, like... They, they banned the sitting president of the United States. They banned the New York Post after they broke the Hunter Biden laptop story. They shadow banned, you know, so many, you know, conservative, conservative voices and not just conservative, but classical liberals who, um, you might, you might sincerely believe in some of the, you know, traditional liberal, you know, ideas, but they'll go in for, like, the uh, far-left fakery psychoticness. You know, going back to Clownfish TV, they have called Twitter uh, ground zero for cancel culture. You know, anyone who um, goes against the um, party line of Hollywood or the far-left, they lose their livelihood or whatever, and it starts at the toxic environment of Twitter. So, what do they say about Parag here? He's leading. He's leading force in Twitter's decentralization projects. Uh, Agarwal oversees Blue Sky, which I mentioned in the last episode. Twitter's project create a decentralized protocol for social media, which started in 2019, according to The Verge. The project didn't make noise until this year. In January, it released an ecosystem review of decentralized social media. In August, Agarwal tapped Jay Garber, a crypto developer who worked on Zcash to lead the Blue Sky team. Graber said Agarwal has been a champion of the, of the team from the start. The new CEO also led Twitter's brand new crypto team, according to The Verge. In September, Twitter launched tipping and currencies and verification of non-fungible tokens. Number two, he led Twitter's migration to cloud servers. Twitter has been plagued by slow performance and difficulty in launching new features, in part because it ran all of its services projects on its own servers. Agarwal compared Twitter's tech to a ball of hair in a 2020 interview with The Information, a phrase he borrowed from Nick Torno, the platform, platform lead of the company. As, as the uh, chief technical officer, Agarwal spearheaded the platform's migration to cloud servers. In 2018, Twitter migrated cold data storage. Okay. Number three, he is concerned about the ethics of tech, and this is what should concern a lot of us. Uh, in 2018, Agarwal has been part of the effort to determine whether Twitter's image cropping algorithm was racially discriminatory. During his tenure as CTO, the company launched in April a responsible machine learning initiative. Agarwal explained his thoughts on Twitter's responsibility for content moderation in an interview with MIT Technology Review, saying the company's approach is rooted to avoid specific harm that misleading information can cause. So... He's against misinformation. And how many of us know what that's code for? Hmm? Number four, he has risen quickly up Twitter's ranks. Agarwal started working at the company as an engineer in 2011 
and became CTO in 2017. He was Twitter's first distinguished, en en distinguished engineer thanks to his work on revenue and consumer engineering, according to his bio on Twitter's corporate website. And number five, he doesn't tweet much. Agarwal is not a big tweeter. His timeline is filled mainly with retweets and comments on company policy. So, let's look at some more Agarwal news. Twitter bans sharing photos, video, of people without their consent. This is from CNET.com. The, the social media site may allow images if they're newsworthy, but says it'll try to assess the content. So, newsworthy, you know, so what's newsworthy? Who decides that? In an upcoming episode, I'm going to make the case that everyone is a journalist, not just the, the people working for media companies. I'm a journalist. You're a journalist. Anyone with an internet connection is a journalist. That's what the Founding Fathers wanted when they wrote the First Amendment. Twitter on Tuesday banned the sharing of videos of photos and videos of private individuals without their consent, the company said in a blog post. The update to its private information policy notes that people can contact the microblogging platform and have such media removed. The ban doesn't apply to public figures if the media and tweet are of public interest. The content featuring those people may be removed if the site's guide determines it's been shared to harass, intimidate, or use fear to silence them. We will always try to assess the context in which the content is shared, and in such cases, we may allow the images or videos to remain on the service. So, they banned Donald Trump for on January 6th because he urged people to, uh, he urged his supporters to go home, go in peace, we love you. And if you didn't know that, you know, you're probably watching the wrong, you're probably watching the wrong media. I saw the video. He said that. Um, but they also, Twitter also allows, you know, posts by ISIS, posts by Antifa, Antifa members who, you know, talk, who discuss burning and looting. So, what do they determine is harassment? What do they determine is violent content? You see how subjective that is? Um, they're going to have a big First Amendment problem, especially since we know that a lot of the, a lot of these big tech companies have support from the government, whether federal or state. I've talked about that before. The move is, this, is an expansion of Twitter's private information policy and that the company says is meant to protect people from physical or emotional harm. Policy already bars Twitter users from sharing people's home addresses, government IDs, and other sensitive information. Okay, it's good. You know, it's you're not supposed, you shouldn't have to, uh, people shouldn't be doxxed. People should be able to be secure in their, in their, um, on their persons and papers and effects and property. You know, that's protected by the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution. And that's what the government says. And if big tech is an extension of the government, you know, then you follow that. Let's move on to reclaimthenet.org because they'll always be straight with you. Twitter's new CEO, Parag Agarwal, previously rejected free speech in favor of healthy public conversation. 
He also wished the company had censored some content sooner. So, in a far-reaching November 2020 interview, Twitter's new CEO, Parag Agarwal, who was the company's chief technology officer at the time, rejected free speech protections that are enshrined in the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, wished the company had censored QAnon sooner, and touted the company's approach of censoring content based on potential for harm. Our role is not to be bound by the First Amendment, but our role is to serve a healthy public conversation and our moves are reflective of things that we believe lead to a healthier public conversation. You know, a healthy public conversation is when rules are applied evenly, you know, evenly across the board and not, you know, biased towards one position or another. He added that the company now focuses on less on thinking about free speech, but thinking about how the times have changed. In this context, Agarwal said the role of Twitter is increasingly moving towards recommendations and how we direct people's attention is leading to a healthy public conversation that is most participatory. Agarwal also noted that Twitter focuses its censorship efforts on avoiding specific harm that misleading information can cause, and claimed that when it comes to COVID-19, a few people being misinformed can lead to implications on everyone. Well, okay, I wish you'd apply that logic to um, CNN. Additionally, Agarwal addressed Twitter censorship of QAnon in July of 2020 by wishing QAnon content had been purged from the platform earlier and touting Twitter's actions that had led to very rapid decrease in the information amount of reach QAnon and related content got on the platform by over 50%. Now, QAnon, I am, um, I don't even know where Q po posts, what website he, she, or they post to. Um, I do follow the X-22 report, and the host, Dave, he analyzes Q. It's not, there's no such thing as QAnon. There's Q, and then there are the Anons who, you know, like, ask Q questions. Um... Talking about QAnon is just like I'm trying to think of the word. It's more like a um, kind of a it's own little bit of disinformation. Let's see here. But how do you handle free speech? What is free speech? What is safe speech? There's no such thing as the way you deal with misinformation is you tell the truth. And you back up the truth with evidence. You know, on the internet we talk about showing receipts. We show, you know, we show pictures. We show past emails. You know, one reason Tim Pool is so effective on his YouTube channel is um he kind of grew up in uh, skate culture, skateboard culture. You know, they they would also always do tricks and brag about what they did. And there's kind of a saying, "Picks or it didn't happen." So they are very they're very you know, diligent about documenting all the tricks they perform, and that kind of trained him to think, hey, don't back up what you're saying unless you have proof. Now, I'm, 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 I am sharing opinions, and I'm, I'm very open about telling you these are opinions, but I want you to make your own decisions. You know, and the way you do that is not by clamping down on, on speech that you think is, is misleading. You, um... You counter it with a good speech. You counter it with true speech. So, I'm a free speech maximalist. You know, 
I believe that everyone should be able to say what they want and but also have you know be responsible enough to um either vet the sources or um have the principles to um use logic and facts. What's next here? Twitter stock down today. Let's look at the one month chart. Hopefully. Twitter is down 4.02 points a day. Let's see here. Five day. I know it went up yesterday on the news that Jack Dorsey was, was stepping down. Look at that. It jumped up and then it's down even lower than before because we're finding out who Agarwal is. So, Twitter, I don't think Twitter's ever been profitable. I could be wrong, but they just have been propped up by investor money for its whole, almost its whole existence. So, I think people are kind of like looking at it critically now. What's next on the docket? Walmart, Walmart's Brett Biggs to step down as CFO. Have you seen that? Have you seen that uh, tweet or Facebook post that's been going around? On the first day of the Galen Maxwell trial, the CEO of Twitter stepped down, the uh, CFO of Walmart stepped down, and the CEO of CNBC stepped down. Now, I have not been able to uh, confirm the CNBC part, but this big executive at Walmart, yes, he's stepping down. Now, is that a coincidence? We've seen a lot of ex top executives, you know, resign this year. It's not just, you know, it's not just regular employees who are participating in the Great Resignation. A lot of, you know, bigwigs are kind of getting out of the race, getting out of the, uh, yeah, the cluster flunk. Um, now, do they have something to hide? Um, we mentioned, I think I talked yesterday about Microsoft CEO selling half of his uh, stock. Let's see here. Walmart said on Sunday, and this is on the New York Post.com. Walmart said on Sunday, longtime executive Brett Biggs will step down from his role as chief financial officer of the world's largest retailer next year. Uh, Biggs, the finance chief since 2015, helped oversee a period of rapid change at Walmart as the brick and mortar retailer launched an expanded number of initiatives to help fend off competition from Amazon. Walmart made, made its biggest overseas investment in 2018 with a $16 billion deal to buy a majority stake in Indian online marketplace Flipkart and beefed up its U.S. e-commerce business through the purchase of apparel retailers ModCloth and Bonobos. Monday's announcement came as a surprise to some analysts that viewed Biggs as next in line for Walmart's top job. Brett Biggs was a candidate to ultimately see succeed Doug McMillan as CEO, given his long tenure at the company and broad experience across business units and functions outside of finance, said Jason Benowitz, uh, Senior Portfolio Manager. Uh, however, we expect McMillan to serve many more years at the helm. Walmart's shares were down 1% in late morning trade. Biggs had held several finance positions, including CFO of the company's international division in U.S. business since joining the company in 2000. 
The Eagles will remain in the role until successor is named next year. Next year, Walmart said, adding he will continue to represent the company as a board member of its fintech startup until January 2023. The startup, a joint venture with investment firm Ribbit Capital, aims to develop financial products for Walmart's employees and customers. Now, I barely go into Walmart anymore. Target's somewhat better, but Walmart is just a um a wasteland. I, I used to think Walmart was cool, and it did used to be cool, but uh, I think they just lost Mojo the last 15 or 20 years. It just smells weird. Uh, the employees hate their life. The employees barely make a living, and they have to, you know, get support from, like, welfare or food stamps. Um, you listen to, you listen to some YouTubers like Fantavision and Camelot 31, it's just like, it's just miserable working there. It's probably miserable shopping there. They pretty much stayed afloat thanks to e-commerce and online ordering, and so it's, Target at least has some has a good brand backing up. Like they do have, have some quality products and kind of a cleaner, more pleasant experience. But on a retail, the only reason you would you wouldn't shop local is because of brandings, which is why I'm so you know so so big on web design and digital marketing for small small local businesses because this is what they're up against. Companies that got that have their I don't know. Moving on. I told you I'd talk about this case. A big court case. The Jesse Smollett trial. Detective denies claims police police rush to judgment. And we're gonna skim this article a little bit. Um, Jesse Smollett, he, three, three years ago, he, uh, staged, he staged a hate crime where supposedly some Trump supporters threatened to, threatened to lynch him in the middle of the night, in the, in the middle of winter, while he was going to Subway, like, who would be out in sub-zero temperatures late at night? So it just didn't make sense, and, and the story fell apart, and, but not before the media made a hero out of him. The lead investigator of an alleged attack on the actor Jesse Smollett on Tuesday denies claims by defense attorneys that Chicago police rushed to judgment, saying about two dozen detectives clocked some 3,000 hours on what they thought was a horrible hate crime before concluding the former Empire star had staged a hoax. Take the stand as prosecutors began their case, former Chicago police detective Michael Theus, or Theis, said he initially viewed Smollett as a victim of a homophobic and racist, racist attack, and that his team absolutely did not rush to judgment. Theus said investigators spent days after Smollett reported the alleged attack on January 2019, following up leads, collecting videos from surveillance cameras, doorbells, and businesses, pouring over phone records, and canvassing the area in sub-zero temperatures. January 2019, remember that month and year because we're going to get to it a little later. He also said Smollett refused to provide medical records related to the attack for a cheek swab so investigators could compare it to DNA they had been, they had been on a rope Smollett said the attackers put around his neck. 
Now let's go to a uh, very important paragraph here. Kamala Harris, then a California state senator, uh, then a U.S. senator from California, condemned the attack as an attempted modern-day lynching. The actor Viola Davis wrote, "We all have to take this racist and homo homophobic act of violence very personally." So, why is how does Kamala Harris fit into this? Well, in this story from BET.com, dated February of 2019, Senators Kamala Harris and Cory Booker received unanimous passage of federal anti-lynching bill. Justice for Victims of Lynching Act is the first piece of legislation to officially make lynching a hate crime. This was, they got this done in February, just, you know, while the uh, Justice Mullet trial case was still being, you know, while, while Jesse Smollett was still being affected by the media. Now, is anti-lynching a good thing or a bad thing? You know, that's up for debate. Of course it's bad. You know, you ought to, you, people ought to, you know, have a fair trial for what, for their crimes or supposed crimes. And judging from what we've seen, like, acts like the Patriot Act or the Affordable Care Act, they're nothing what their titles say they are. They're probably packed with a lot of pork or writers or things snuck in to them. These are underheaded crap. But think about this. And X22 Report mentioned this in in, in their, recent, their recent episode. Governments and legislators, they need a cover story to get their thing, to get their get their things done. The Jesse Smollett attack, or hoax, was the impetus needed to um, get this bill passed in the Senate. What other, what other things has the government done based on action? You know, the Patriot Act was based, was a reaction to 9-11. The Affordable Care Act, um, a lot of people protested that, and they just kind of rammed it in because they didn't make the case for it. Um, now, coronavirus, you know, the lockdowns, that was based on, you know, that was supposedly a reaction to a horrible pandemic. And the same, same thing as government's trying to do this with the Omicron variant. Now, are people getting wise to this? I want to think they are. You know, busy bodies, they need a cover story to um, kind of justify their their abuse or usurpation or just control freak nature. So the more we get wise to their um, practices, the better off we can, um, the better we'll, we'll be able to be to uh, attain our freedom. Now, is it, is this bill appropriate? We would have to, re we would have to read it to even pass in the house and get signed by, by, by the president. I need to look at that further, but this is just, you know, an example, just to get, you know, get you thinking. Now, another court case. That's big. Federal magistrate approves Kyle Rittenhouse's $110 million defamation suit against LeBron James. How many people were red-pilled by the Kyle Rittenhouse case? How many people actually watched uh, the live streams either on, on a, uh, YouTube or on 
on TV and realized, holy crap, the media lied to us. And Kyle Rittenhouse better be compensated. He better not have to work ever again. You know, there was a, there was a article that, oh, he's not going to be accepted to um, the college of his choice. You know, what college is going to accept him after after this brouhaha? Will he ever be able to get, you know, a normal job? Well, who will hire him? You know, the media has to pay for what they did to him. And looks like LeBron James is up first. When Kyle Rittenhouse said he was going to sue LeBron James, the king responded by laughing and saying no judge in Cleveland would side with the little white supremacist. Kyle, in return, apparently asked his lawyers to file in federal court. The first step to a federal civil suit is to have the case approved by a magistrate, which is not easy to do. You have to prove the case is in the interest of all the peoples of the several states, as it says in the Constitution, Article 17. The Rittenhouse suit is satisfied because Kyle wasn't in Cleveland, nor was he a resident of Cleveland or, or Kenosha or the, when the alleged incident of white, white supremacy occurred. Remember, being photographed with white supremacists and being a white supremacist are two different things. Or have we all forgotten the Tea Party mantras about Hillary Clinton and Larry Bird? To the magistrate, the Honorable Joe Barron of the Seventh Federal Court of Ritz and Warrants has stamped the case, greenlining it to be filed anywhere in the country. According to Kyle's lawyer, they plan to file it in one federal court in each state just to be safe. Checkmate, LeBron. Looks like you have no clue how things actually work. So, I mean, there's video evidence of Kyle Rittenhouse clearly defending himself against a violent, mo violent, violent mobsters who were chasing him. So, I hope that's, you know, thank God for smartphones, but thank God for the internet. I mean, think of what people used to get away with. Think about what, what the officials used to get away with. Think about how many stolen elections have happened in the past because we didn't have people watching it. Wink, wink. Now, let's move on to day two of the Glenn Maxwell trial because this is big. You know, everyone on Facebook is saying, hey, we've, we've been watching the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Now we have to pay attention to the Glenn Maxwell trial because that's so huge. And it's going to be harder because it's in federal court and they don't allow cameras in federal court. So we have to rely on people who are there. And we have to rely on not necessarily the corporate media, but on independent media, like Technophog. We read we read him yesterday. Day two. Day two has wrapped up in the Glenn Maxwell trial. To provide a short background, day one involved the final jury selection, opening statements, and the start of the examination of Jeffrey Epstein pilot Gray Vysotsky. The opening by the prosecution started with the story of a 14-year-old girl who was groomed and abused by Epstein and Maxwell. The grooming and abuse... The alleged modus operandi of the lovers turned abuser and accomplice is a key part of the prosecution's case, as it describes what they did to each of the four victims who will be heard from at the trial. Maxwell's attorney opened by pointing to the real criminal, Epstein, and suggesting Maxwell was the villainized scapegoat. It was Maxwell's Me Too mo moment, her cry of victimhood not only against Epstein but, by the, but the U.S. government, and by extension, her victims. As we predicted, Maxwell's counsel emphasized that some victims had mentioned Maxwell in past interviews and were supposedly in this for a financial gain. Let me read the excerpt here. 
If you're listening on the podcast, I'll read the highlighted part. The June 2019 indictment against Epstein did not include the allegations of the four accusers that are contained in the uh, S2 indictment charging Ms. Maxwell. Under the terms of the protocol, the accusers here and their civil lawyers stood to benefit if the prosecution against Ms. Maxwell went forward. So Epstein's former pilot, Larry Vysosky, provided some notable testimony identifying Bill Clinton, Prince Andrew, Senator John Glenn, Donald Trump, and Kevin Spacey as passengers on Epstein's plane. Vysosky described flights around the country to Epstein's properties in New Mexico, in Florida, and New York, and taking Epstein, Maxwell, and one of his assistants, Sarah Kellen, and the noble politician celebrities on these flights. Sarah Kellen's name is significant because she allegedly had the same type of role Glenn Maxwell had in abusing minor girls. Yet she, for some reason, remains free. Kellen was one of the co-conspirators listed in Epstein's sweetheart non-prosecution agreement with the DOJ and was alleged to have been involved in the alleged sexual abuse on Epstein's airplane by at least one, by at least one victim and was likely one of the co-conspirators referenced in Epstein's indictment. I think the fog includes a uh, tweet he made some time ago. Recall that the Epstein indictment references three female employees who helped him recruit and abuse minors. We suspect this refers to Glenn Maxwell, Sarah Kellen, and Nadia Marcinkova. Will Kellen testify? That would be interesting. I don't think the prosecution would call her as a witness. But would the, de but would the defense? Imagine the fireworks. So the first victim testifies. Today we also saw the testimony of the first victim referenced in the government's opening statement, who was 14 years old at the time of the abuse. Wasting no time, the government, who was um, James Comey's daughter, in fact, went into the heart of the criminal case against Maxwell. <clears throat> so here's a quote from the case. USA Attorney Comey. How old are you when you first had sexual contact with Jeffrey Epstein? Jane Doe says 14. The attorney says, who was in the room? Jane Doe says, Ghislaine Maxwell. The attorney says, do you see her here? Jane Doe says, yes, there, in sort of a beige turtleneck. In USA, the attorney says, she's identified the defendant. The victim describing, described coming from a rough background, having a broken home as a teenager, and being groomed by Epstein and Maxwell. Epstein would pay for the victim's clothes, and so on, and Maxwell would encourage and participate in the abuse. According to the New York Times, <clears throat> one day when she was still 14, Jane testified. Mr. Epstein told her he could introduce her to talent agents. Then he abruptly ended a conversation about her interests and her future and guided her into a pool house, taking her hand and saying, follow me. Inside the pool house, Jane and Mr. Epstein led her to a couch or futon and took off his pants. He then pulled her on top of him and proceeded to pleasure himself. She said, speaking in a low, slow, halting voice. After he was done, she added, he went to a bathroom to clean up and then acted like nothing had happened. Getting ahead of the defense line of questioning, the government asked the victim about her payment from the Epstein's, Epstein Victims Compensation Fund. The victim admitted she received about $2.9 million. On cross-examination, Maxwell's attorney obtained an admission from the victim that she didn't report the abuse for approximately 20 years. The questions from Maxwell's lawyers continued from there, trying to poke holes in issues ancillary, ancillary to the abuse, such as the victim's application to a camp. The victim's testimony stopped at the court's daily deadline of 5 o'clock p.m. Cross-examination of the victim 
We'll continue tomorrow morning to be followed by a redirect. That might take all day. So, yeah, the old the old um, saw, oh, why didn't you report the abuse until so many years later? Well, when it comes to abuse, a lot of times you don't even, you don't even realize it happened until you get out of the situation and you um you see a different you see a different way of living. Narcissists, abusers, psychopaths, they are like they have dark spiritual powers and abilities to make you think that um what's happening to you is is either normal or is, is justified. Um If you follow me on Facebook, I share a lot of I share a lot of posts about the you know, narcissistic abuse because I do feel like there's a common thread between abuse in relationships and abuse and corruption in government and corporations. There's you know there's some like sick people who, who seem to rise to the top and gain power over us. And this is just you know another example. I kind of hope this um I kind of hope we see the common threads on all this. Um, what makes it hard is, like I like I said last in the last episode, you have false accusations like Amber Heard. You have false accusations like apparently false accusations like what happened to uh, Brett Kavanaugh. They're obviously political, and you wonder, okay, who can you trust? It's so hard, and that's why that's why sexual abuse cases are so thorny, but. We do need to um, let clear, let cooler heads prevail. Now, Technofog is doing a great job, you know, reporting the case. And another case, that, another website that I want you to be aware of, and I shared this on Facebook, uh, InnerCityPress.com. Uh, they report stories from the Southern District of New York's uh, federal federal court house, um, the famed Southern District, you know, where Rudy Giuliani used to be a federal prosecutor. They've got a lot of cases here, including the Maxwell trial. So it's, it's good to follow them. Intercity Press, look them up and bookmark them. And they're, they're worth, they're worth, um, they're worth uh, checking out. Now, some good news and the whole, you know, Media corruption saga. CNN suspends Chris Cuomo indefinitely. Yeah, Chris Cuomo, brother of former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who's just a um, an absolute flake on CNN, and probably you know was and was has been accused of helping Andrew cover up his uh, dalliances as governor. CNN suspended Chris Cuomo indefinitely on Tuesday, one day after the New York State Attorney General's office released transcripts showing the extent of his involvement in assisting his brother, then-Governor Andrew Cuomo, as he faced multiple allegations of sexual assault. Anderson Cooper will fill in for Cuomo on Tuesday night, CNN said. Mediaite obtained CNN's full statement on, on the matter. Uh, the New York Attorney General's office released transcripts and exhibits Monday, that shed new light on Chris Cuomo's involvement in his brother's defense. The documents, which were not privy to, which we were not privy to before their public release, raised serious questions. When Chris admitted to us 
He didn't offer advice to his brother's staff. He broke our rules, and we acknowledged that publicly. But we also appreciated the unique position he was in and understood his need to put his family first and job second. However, these documents point to a greater level of involvement in his brother's efforts than we previously knew. As a result, we have suspended Chris indefinitely pending further evaluation. Well, what choice do they have? I mean, the, the walls are closing in on the elites here. I mean, thank God for the internet. Thank God for smartphones. Thank God for digital cameras. Thank God for social media. Thank God for the blockchain. Thank God for decentralized you know, internet platforms where we can protect free speech, not be, you know, controlled by the central authority. So, what does is, what is Donald Trump have to say about it? We're still on media here. Trump celebrates Cuomo's suspension. Trump celebrates CNN's suspension of Chris Cuomo. Fredo is gone! CNN suspended host Chris Cuomo indefinitely on Tuesday night, and few people are happier about that than the, uh, supposedly former President Donald Trump. The move came one day after the New York Attorney General's office released transcripts of correspondence between Cuomo and members of his brother's team, then-Governor Andrew Cuomo, Democrat from New York, who was combating sexual misconduct allegations at the time. In a statement, CNN said the documents point to a greater level of involvement in his brother's efforts than we previously knew. As a result, we have suspended Chris indefinitely, pending further evaluation. Trump issued a statement, almost immediately after news broke that Cuomo had been pulled off the air. Great news for television viewers. They have just suspended Chris Cuomo indefinitely. The big question is, was it because of his horrendous ratings, which in all fairness have permeated CNN and MSDNC, or was it because his brother is no longer governor? Probably both. In any event, Fredo is gone. Trump's reference to Fredo is a nod to a viral video of Cuomo confronting a heckler who called him Fredo in 2019. So... Trump is on the move. You know, he he never actually conceded the election to Joe Biden. He said he would help transfer it to a new form, to a new system of government. So what's he up to? Well, one thing he has done that's pretty huge is digital world acquisition, which is, you know, also part of his um also was announced at the same time as his um, social media site, Truth Social. So if we can hang on for a while, you know, there will be so much you know, opportunity on Truth Social. I'm kind of excited. So let's see what Digital World Acquisition stock price is. Okay, it's down today. How has it been the last month or so since it was announced? Down 3.16% today. Okay, it's sliding a little bit. Let's look at six months. It's been mostly holding steady. I mentioned yesterday that retail investors, you know, regular folks, have been flocking to the Digital Acquisition Corp. And they're the ones... They're the ones who are, you know, up in the store on Wall Street. So, we've probably seen some weak paper hands, you know, sell, but people are hanging on. And I think I will wrap up there. Um, just think. The elites are 
getting frantic. They're clamping down on speech. They're clamping down on on small business. But think, but consider this: they wouldn't be so desperate if they weren't losing. That's how. That's I like. I, I love pointing that out. So just keep a stiff upper keep a stiff upper lip, gang. Um, I'll let you go. Remember to support the channel and treat yourself to some of my uh, services and merch and do yourself a favor. So, so long. And remember, it's okay to defend yourself. It's okay to.